You are listening to a podcast of Risen Savior Lutheran Church in Chula Vista, California. Growing in faith, living in hope, serving in love, all to the glory of God. May the mercy of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you all, Christian friends. Today I have a sermon based on the epistle of 1 Peter, and I would like you to turn to page 10 now in your service folder where you see the text printed out. This is one of those texts that I'm going to refer to often, so keep the bulletin open to that page, and I'm going to refer you to verses. It'll greatly help in comprehension of the message. Romans 3, 15 to 22. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is God's word. Bless your word among us, Father. Amen. Friends, years ago, uh, uh, in a conversation with a young man who openly admitted that he was terribly shy, introverted, which kind of made him a pessimist, too. He told me that I would sure like to find a girlfriend and a wife. I didn't take up his subject. I changed it intentionally. I said, tell me, you you believe, don't you, as a Christian, that the Lord Jesus has saved you? paid for all your sins? Yes, of course. He was a a real Christian, honestly. And you believe in the forgiveness of your sins, don't you? Oh, yes. And you have the hope of everlasting life, don't you? Yes, yes. So that no matter what happens in life, you are God's child destined for eternity. That's your hope, isn't it? Yes, yes, of course. Are you living that hope? I asked him. He gave me a quizzical look. I mean, if Christ 
rules all things and is guaranteed for you eternal life and glory in heaven and promises to take care of you in your life, are you living on that hope that God can also answer your prayers and do things for you that seem impossible now? Well, of course I believe that. How about you? Do you live your hope? That's the message I'd like to share with you this morning from Peter's first letter, chapter 3. This section of Peter is magnificent, and it's going to give you encouragement and hope in your life to live your hope. That's my message. Live your hope. Now, refer to your bulletin, please, to page 10. First thing you're going to observe is that the text has three paragraphs. And I have three parts to my sermon. Okay? That's kind of simple. But I'm going to start with the second paragraph first. Then the first is going to make more sense. So what I want you to do, first of all, in the middle paragraph, is to look at what Christ has done for you. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Kind of simple, isn't it? The righteous for the unrighteous. Him for us. To bring you to God. So his purpose, my friends, was to reconcile you to God, to bring you to God. And he did that by suffering and dying. The righteous for us, the unrighteous. Next sentence. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. It's capitalized, so the authors or editors here are telling you the Holy Spirit would make sense here. So Jesus really died. (laughs) Kind of obvious statement, but it needs to be said. He really died. They really entombed him. We say bury, right? But he really also came alive. He rose from the dead. That's fundamental to Christian faith. There is no Christian faith without the resurrection of Christ. That's what it says, made alive in the Spirit. 19. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. The previous translation said spirits in prison. And who are they? going on to those who were disobedient long ago, and so on. Well, if you just use your common sense, if they're imprisoned for their disobedience and their spirits, it must be hell. This, my friends, is the key passage of Scripture that teaches us that Christ descended into hell. And you recognize that line from the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. This is the key passage. So, I'm at 19 now. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. That's a great translation. He didn't go to preach the gospel. He didn't go there to do mission work. He went to tell them something, a proclamation. I am alive. That's what Christ said. I have conquered death. And you, Satan, I have brought forgiveness to the whole world. 
as the atoning sacrifice. Follow that? That's why this morning, and only this morning, you now look at page 11. There you have the Apostles' Creed. Go down about six lines in the second article. He descended, and I added the word, triumphantly into hell. Christ didn't go to hell to suffer punishment. He went there to proclaim the victory. I have won. I am alive from the dead. So by adding the advert triumphantly, this morning it impresses upon your memory what our Lord did. Let's use an example. Very recent example is the Ukraine. Over on the eastern border, which is up against Russia, Russia sent over its soldiers into those towns that had a heavy Russian population to stir up trouble. And what happened? They rebelled against the Ukrainian government. And what did they specifically do right in the beginning? They took the Ukrainian flag down from all the city buildings and prominent places and ran up the Russian flag. What were they saying? Stick it in your eye, Ukraine. We are Russians, and we're loyal to Russia. Got that? Now leave that picture. Christ descended into hell, and he planted the flag of God there. That's what he did. It was triumphant. I am alive. I am the victor. And that's why, of all the holidays, Easter, of the resurrection of Jesus, is the most important to you and me, because there is our salvation. A living Christ means that we have been forgiven. We are atoned for, reconciled to God, forgiven. And we have the hope of eternal life. This is just a marvelous message. Now let's spend over on the side a little bit something about hell. Hell is challenged in the theology of modern America and especially in Europe, too. Where Christianity is, all the progressives and the liberals are telling you that hell isn't permanent. So it's like a jail sentence and then it ends. They tell some of the liberal churches now have a second chance for going to hell. So that takes the scariness out of being a wicked, evil person for this life, right? Even if I end up in hell, they'll give me another chance. That is false, evil. That's Satan's lies. When we die, the determination is made. Did you die as a child of God trusting in Jesus, or did you die as an unbeliever, disobedient to God? That determines it. Our prayers, our actions, church rites of any kind have nothing to do with changing that. It's forever. Saved or damned. That's what I want to impress upon you this morning. Why were those people disobedient? Remember that from the verse? They would not believe the preaching of Noah. They would not repent. They would not believe.
and hell was the result. It's in verse 20 if you want to reread that. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. You know how long that lasted? When God announced to Noah to build the ark that a flood was coming, he waited 120 years before the flood came. Talk about patience. You wouldn't have been that patient with the world. Because already when he made the announcement that a flood was coming, that a judgment day was coming for the world, already then a majority, vast majority, were unbelievers. And as you know the result, only eight were saved. Most of the people who were drowned went to hell. But this story teaches me the patience and mercy of God. I, like you, am a sinner. And if God wasn't patient and merciful and kind in dealing with me as with you, we wouldn't be here. God would vaporize us in anger. But just as he waited 120 years to give people opportunity to change, he gives us a lifetime, doesn't he? As a simple example, I liken it to a judge in a courtroom. It is a tough job. Because the judge has to make a decision when he hands out the sentence whether this defendant from being convicted and now facing the day of judgment will turn his life around. And should he be merciful and give the minimum that he can as punishment? Or is there no hope with this person and I might as well give it to him? You know, many judges lean over backwards to be kind and merciful to the defendant. Maybe another chance and they'll turn their life around. That is the way God's patience works, except it's perfect. Well, my friends, that's the middle paragraph. Let's go to the bottom one now because the story continues. It says in the next paragraph, in it, the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Let's stop there. The sad story is that there were only eight people saved in the ark, right? Noah, his wife, their three sons, and three daughter-in-laws, the wives belonging to the three sons. There were no children. That recent movie that came out on Noah is absolute garbage. Non-Christian, by the way. The water that destroyed was also the water that saved. Isn't that interesting? And so what he did, he says, this now is a type. Now, the English translation says symbolizes. I think a better word would be go back to the Greek. The Greek word here is type, T-Y-P-E, typus. That word is used in a theological way in the Bible. 
And what it means is that an event or a person of the Old Testament is a type of a person or event of the New Testament dealing with salvation, either Christ or something that was done relating to Christ. So here he says, the floodwaters saved just as baptism saves. So the Holy Spirit is teaching us through the Scripture that just as the floodwaters were destructive, it also was saving. And that's baptism. Think about it that way. Do you realize that as Noah and the ark people were saved, so the water of baptism also saves you? Because in that, the Holy Spirit comes to you, even if you're not aware of it as a little baby, and brings you forgiveness from God so that God calls you now my child. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in you as your mind develops and the years go by and you gradually mature. This all begins to make sense. As you learn from the teaching of the Bible what God has done for us, you're amazed and say, look at how wonderful God is. I ought to prize what he has done for me. And really, we do. Baptism is so essential. Baptism saves. I think it's a better word than using symbolize to say this water is a type of baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal, going on, not the removal of dirt from the body. Baptism is intended to wash skin. But it's the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Now here's another little great point, the word pledge. The word pledge was used in the Greek courtroom or the Roman courtroom. It's the word that says a judicial decision. Let's use an example. The judge has to decide whether some evidence brought forth by the defense should be allowed to be brought up. It could be trivial. It could be just a smokescreen. He doesn't want to turn the trial into a circus. So he has to make a decision. And his decision is the rule that will be followed. Will I or will I not allow that evidence that they claim to be brought publicly before the jury? That's the word here. So pledge is that God has made a decision, a judicial decision. And now look at the text again. I'm in this verse uh, 21 in the second line. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. I want to emphasize that for you, my friends. Do you realize that as you sit here in church, you are a sinner, but you can have a clear conscience before God because He has forgiven you? Isn't that marvelous? That's the love of God. And that makes us all the more want to prize what God has done for us through baptism, through the Holy Spirit, through the faith that He has given me that I believe in my Savior Jesus. Let's go on. I'm still in that same verse, next sentence. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels' authorities and powers in submission to him. It is the resurrection. It is the Easter story, the resurrection day, that makes this all possible and why he planted the flag of God in hell and said, I am alive. I am victorious. Well, my friends, if you believe, 22, that he's at God's right hand and all the angels, all the authorities, all the powers of the world, everything is in submission to Christ, that has to fill us with hope. That no matter how bad the world looks or how bad your life is going or whatever it is, God is in control and he is my savior friend. Now, we can understand the first paragraph most clearly. Verse 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Just that much. You are to make Christ number one in your life. Revere him, consider him the most holy, perfect prize that you have. But there's more to this. We need to go at history a little bit. Peter and this writing is somewhere in the 60s A.D., early 60s probably. We don't know exactly. Tradition tells us that Peter lived in Rome. The emperor is Nero, and you've all heard of crazy Nero. In the year 64 in Rome, the city of Rome had a terrible fire. When I say a terrible fire, it's divided into districts, like we have names for our metropolitan area here. Something like a majority, two-thirds to three-quarters of the districts burned to the ground because they were all made of wood. Tenements built close together, they didn't have normal streets, just walking paths, close together, catching on fire, and when fire burns this wooden tenement, the fire is going to burn the next one. And as the winds blew that summertime, it burned the next one and the next one, and the number of people put out of their houses by the fire was million. It was just terrible. And when something bad happens, a politician has to find somebody to blame. And Nero said, it's the Christians. This is the first of 10 major persecutions against Christianity in the first 300 years of Christianity. Till Constantine, and then Christianity becomes legal. Up to that time, in the early 300s, Christianity is an illegal religion. And during that 300-year period, starting with Nero, there are 10 major persecutions against the church. Some terrible. But finally, even the evil people get sick of killing others, and they stop. But Christianity kept growing. Because there's nothing like persecution to find who really is a Christian and who isn't, right? When the going gets tough, you know who is real. Now, during the later persecutions, the problem was, and it started already with Nero and the emperors before him, even Caesar Augustus, birth of Jesus, emperor. They were called divine. 
a son of the gods. They were polytheists, the Romans. So, as a loyalty matter, you would want to pledge loyalty to the emperor as divine and call him Lord. And some of the major persecutions coming would be that demand. Will you make a sacrifice to the deity of the Roman emperor to show your loyalty to the government as a Roman? Or will you not and suffer the sword? I find it interesting that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was wise enough to put this in, even though it may not have been openly occurring yet, that we are to revere Christ as Lord. Because once you give that up, you don't have Jesus anymore. Follow that? Now, pause on that for a moment. Hasn't that always been the problem with us human beings? We want to be God. <laughs> sure. Adam already thought that he could disagree with God's command and do his own thing. I'll do it my way, thank you. Much as you find in the open attitude of our society today, I'll believe what I want to believe. So that many Christian churches have become like a buffet. I believe this doctrine, but I don't believe that teaching. I'll accept this out of the Bible, but not that. <laughs> As if we're gods and we can pick and choose and make up our own teachings. It was the problem with Joshua. If you remember, Joshua gathered all the leaders of the nation together in one place, and he demanded of them, you must put aside all of those idols and evil practices that you brought with you out of Egypt because idolatry was the great problem with ancient Israel, wasn't it? You remember at Mount Carmel, Elijah challenged the 450 prophets of Baal? Who is God? Is it Baal, the cow god with the cow head and the human body? Or is it the Lord that we've always worshipped? And so each side built a sacrifice. But you can't light it. Your God must light it to prove that he's real. You remember that story, don't you? The prophets of Baal cut themselves, screamed and hollered, did everything all day long, and nothing happened. And God smiled. And then in the evening, Elijah prayed to God, and he sent fire from heaven. He did not only burn up the sacrifice. He vaporized the stones of the altar to nothingness to show I am God. And the people shouted it. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. They caught on. Isaiah has a one-line passage that is memorable. May I share it? The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He was carrying on a conversation that you run after this and that. You carve your gods out of wood. You make up your own religious ideas. But only the Lord is the one you must revere as God. That's what this opening line means. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And now what follows is just common sense. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We have hope. 
And if somebody asks me why I am a Christian, I can tell him what it's about. But he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Be kind. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, right? We live in changing times. Don't you realize that? Young people, pay attention to this. We live in changing times. We who have gray up here would never have believed that we would be in a society like this today when we were young, your age, never. The public press, the media, the movies, they make fun of Christianity and the church. The Bible is considered old relic. It's not taught in school. The scholars, the educators don't believe it anymore is true. And every once in a while, you'll find an honest news story will tell you that some teacher got fired or some professor lost his tenure because he said he believed this from the Bible and it contradicted their scholarship. This happens. Usually Christians are looked upon as kooks in our society. So making fun of Christianity is a sport in America. But you notice they never do the same for Allah and Islam because they're scared of them. Christians, we just wash it off our back and say, go ahead, damn yourself if that's what you're going to do. And we just keep plugging away in our churches. We're, we're in changing times. And so, my friends, Always be prepared to give an answer with gentleness to anybody who asks you why you're a Christian. Through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God. Remember that from the apostle? Yes. A lot of troubles in life. When I was young, Christianity was honored and respected. Business is still closed on Sundays to allow people to go to worship. Not anymore. Now put your thoughts to another theme of Peter. We're not permanent here. We're aliens. We're foreigners in this world, we Christians. This is not our home. We belong to God. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing through, aren't we? So trouble can come, so be it. Jesus is Lord, and I live my hope. Amen. Please rise. Thanks for listening to this Risen Savior podcast. For more information about our church, check us out online at risensavior.us.